Yeah. Well, my name is uh, Mike Nichols. I come all the way from Luton this morning. Uh, as you'll be able to tell by my dulcet, very exotic tones as I preach, I'm actually from Birmingham. Uh, it's, it's actually where Jesus was born. There was a mistranslation in the Bibles. It wasn't Bethlehem, it was Birmingham. Uh, just down the road, actually, from Matt Atkins, who I'm sure many of you remember and know as well. But I have the privilege of just getting to talk to you for about 35 to 75 minutes this morning. So get yourself nice and comfortable if you're in the room or if you're at home. Uh, on the camera, why don't we just wave to the camera and just welcome everyone at home. Not just me, everyone, there you go. Welcome to you if you're watching online. And I'm just going to bring a message this morning that I hope will be a message in season. That's a very churchy term. But we have just lived through the most crazy few years. I was eight weeks in my brand new church and then I heard this word, lockdown. And all these different things that we'd never heard before, like social distancing and seeing people wearing masks, became our new reality. And now, out of lockdown... We just have a World War III on the brink, just to throw that in there, nuclear deterrence. We have a cost of living crisis. It costs about three mortgages to be able to drive through Derby and petrol. Food's gone up, electricity's gone up, gas has gone up. All this to say, I believe increasingly, we not just as a nation, but as a world are struggling with something called anxiety. We are an anxious people. So I want to spend some time today just talking around this thing of anxiety. And if you've got a Bible, it's good to have a Bible in church. I would love you to join me and jump over to Philippians 4. And if you don't have your Bible, do not worry. We have the Sky Bible. And I'll read with you from the Sky Bible. But this was a verse written thousands and thousands of years ago. 2,000 or so years ago by a man called Paul. And actually, if you read it out of context, it'll be quite pertinent and fitting for 2022 here in Derby or Luton or Birmingham or wherever you are from or you are watching from. But let me just read this. This is going to be our umbrella verse. This is going to frame everything we're going to talk about. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And underline this if you believe in underlining your Bible. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, or excellent, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. So let's start with this. What is anxiety? What is anxiety? We hear a lot about it. Apparently it's more prevalent now than ever before, but what actually is it? Well, at its foremost, it is actually a helpful thing to us. Anxiety warns us of danger. It's a perception to what is going on around us. It's an awareness. Someone said it like this, anxiety and fear are siblings but not twins. Because where fear sees a threat, anxiety imagines one. And anxiety isn't a new thing. As I said, this verse was written 2,000 years ago. And as Paul says about it and talks about it, he is presuming that anxiety will be a thing. Well, as I said, anxiety is normal and it's fine. The problem is, is when anxiety becomes unbalanced or imbalanced. A little bit of healthy anxiety will stop you from burning your fingers on a stove. It will stop you getting running o run over on a busy street. But when it becomes imbalanced, it starts to imagine and see threats everywhere. 
And one scientist said it like this. In the 1950s, an average psychiatric patient would show levels of anxiety. He says, but today, the average child exhibits the same amount of anxiety as that psychiatric patient. Isn't that crazy? People who were locked away in asylums in the 50s are showing the same amount of anxiety as an average child today. And the word there is average, because when something is average, it becomes normal. It becomes normal. And I want to say it like this. This isn't something that is just for out there. It's not just something in the world that the sinners struggle with. You may be sat here this morning thinking, well, anxiety isn't a thing because surely Jesus told us, didn't he? Matthew 6, 25. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you eat, what you wear. Don't worry about anything. He says it again in Luke 21, uh, 34. He says, don't let your heart be weighed down with anxiety. There's a famous axiom that 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid. But I want to tell you, church, that anxiety is rife also in our churches. One in ten people suffer with a serious anxiety disorder. And it's estimated that six out of ten exhibit anxiety symptoms in their day-to-day life. We've just lived through a global pandemic. But I want to tell you that anxiety in the UK in 2022 is a UK epidemic. It's estimated that 40% of the workforce who are off sick today globally are off sick with depression or anxiety. So it's so helpful for me that I know the Bible is talking about anxiety. Because as I said, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with that, you may be not just feel anxious, you might feel guilty for feeling anxious because Jesus said it himself, don't be anxious. Paul says, don't be anxious. The Lord says, do not fear. But church, although anxiety is present, it isn't your identity. Anxiety isn't a sin, it's an emotion. It's not something that you should be feeling guilty about. If anxiety, I think, is left unchecked and untreated and untouched, it can lead to sinful behaviours. For example, if you are self-medicating with alcohol, or non-prescribed drugs because you are feeling anxious, that is sinful. If you're neglecting your spouse or your kids or your friends or your work, maybe that's sinful. But anxiety in and of itself is is an emotion and not a sin. Famous Christian author and theologian Max Licardo, in his book, Anxious for Nothing, gives this list. He says, are you laughing less than you used to? Do you see problems in every promise? Would those closest to you describe you as increasingly negative or critical? And do you assume that something bad is going to happen to you or a loved one? Do you dilute or downplay good news with doses of your own reality? Many days would you rather stay in bed than get up? Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? And given the chance, would you rather avoid an interaction with others for as long as you possibly could? Now, I don't know about you, but that just sounds like an average Saturday to me. I don't want to see anyone. I, I am, you know, giving false senses of reality, my own reality in the world. Especially, I think, it's just been so heightened with COVID, with pandemic, with lockdown, with relational breakdown, getting to learn blooming Zoom every other day. It's just been a nightmare. But he said, if you can tick yes to 50% of these, probably you are clinically or diagnosed as clinically anxious. 
So negating COVID, negating cost of living, negating war with Russia, negating the government, and we won't go there this morning, negating all those different things. Why are we so anxious? Well, that just adds it in and of itself, doesn't it? We can see why we're anxious, but actually there was a catapulting in the year 2007, or so experts say. You see, there's been times in our humanity that have been defining for human beings. The 1400s, it would have been when the clock, the mechanical clock was invented. And the Gutenberg Press in 14, I think it was 38, when the telephone was invented and electricity and the light bulb and the plane. All these things advanced humanity. But experts say we will look back in decades and millennia to come if Jesus hasn't come back by then at 2007 as a defining point in humanity more than any other things. 2007 has been coined unofficially, I think, the digital age. The digital age. 2007, a lot of things happened. It started here in the UK that we went from analogue to digital. 2007, Facebook went global. Twitter went global. 2007, the Lord visited us and bought us the iPhone. We'll pray for you at the end if you're an Android user. But the iPhone came in 2007. And the app store and the cloud, everything just started to go digital. And it's been fantastic and it's really, really helped us. But it's also been crippling us emotionally and spiritually, I would say, as well. Never before have we been so connected yet disconnected. You can have 4,000 followers on Instagram and not have one real friend. You can put up a front as you go through Instagram reels and you see that the person you went to school with who you used to be better looking than is now better looking than you. And on a beach with six-pack abs, don't tell you that it's photoshopped. But all these things, whether we realise it consciously or subconsciously, are affecting us. As I said, emotionally. And I believe absolutely spiritually, but also neurobiologically as well, if I can say that before 11 o'clock. It's affecting literally the makeup of our brain. And experts are saying we do not know the impact that this is having on us even now because we're still in the infancy of this digital age. And I sometimes get scared when I open up the news and I see all these advantages of AI, artificial intelligence and robots and it's almost like going back to 2000 and watching The Matrix again, thinking of this slippery slope that what's going to happen, it's making us anxious. So with that being said, for the rest of our message, we are going to go to the book of Acts. We're going to keep our umbrella scripture in mind of Philippians 4. But I believe there was a man in Acts, the same man who wrote that verse, those verses we read in Philippians, called Paul, who can teach us so much about dealing with anxiety. And again, let me repeat, if you are anxious this morning, worry on steroids, trepidation, fear, Maybe you're waiting for a doctor's diagnosis and you just don't know what's going to happen. I want to tell you that the Lord is near. Whether you've known Jesus for 60 years, 70 years, 90 years, or don't know him at all, I promise you that I believe with all that is in me, the Lord is near. Let's go to Acts 16. I'm going to read from verse 22. And I'll set up the context a little bit. Our friend Paul has been going through the streets and he's been preaching about the goodness of God. And he comes across this young girl who starts prophesying and shouting out. And actually, on the face of it, it looks like a good thing because she's proclaiming that Paul and his friend Silas, who he's with, are from God. But she just starts to get a little bit annoying. 
a little bit like my children, in fact. I've got three of them, just constantly with me, making noise. And she's doing this. And he just gets fed up, and he decides in his spirit that there's a demon in her, and he casts this demon out. The problem is that the, the owners of this girl, she was a slave, were making money from this demon because she was prophesying and telling the future. So instantly, their Bitcoin in, in, uh, come has just disappeared. So they go to the governing body of the time and they say, this, these people are causing insurrection and riots. You need to come and sort them out. And we pick up the story in Acts 16, verse 22. And it says, Then the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates of the court ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. wasn't a great day for them. After they had been, take mention of this, notice of this, after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a huge violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prisoners' doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Phenomenal. Now that verse we read at the beginning in Philippians 4, you could be forgiven in thinking that when Paul wrote that, he was on a beach in Barbados, sipping a mocktail, he's got his shades on, and he's probably got one of those little umbrellas in his mocktail as well, and he's in his speedos, just chilling on the beach. Don't be anxious about anything, rejoice always, very, very easy to say like that. What you probably don't know, he was writing that from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell. There's not one hint of anxiety, not one hint of trepidation or fear or unsettlement in his spirit. And actually, this is a different prison cell. This prison cell wasn't in Rome. It was in Philippi he now finds himself. And Philippi was a little bit different to Rome. It was a lot hotter. It was in the Middle East. And when we think of prison cells, when we read in the New Testament, it's not like today when they've got like a PS4 and a TV and their own kettle and they can just chill out with a pillow and nice, nice clothes. This was a dark, dank prison cell. More than that, he was thrown right into the deep, depths of it in the middle and his hands and feet put in stocks and I want you to try and imagine the atmosphere in this smelly hot cell I imagine it would have smelled of BO and food waste and feces and it would be noisy and hot and dank and what happens Paul and Silas both begin to praise we're talking a little bit about mental health this morning and a few questions will probably raise in your mind did he need some drugs did he need to chill out a little bit well, we'll unpack it a little bit. But I want to suggest if anyone has any reason to be anxious, it is Paul. Far more than we do today in our comfy 2022 in Derby. Far more. Not just because he's in prison in Philippi. Let me throw you what Paul's anxiety list. He says, I've been in prison multiple times. Five times I've been lashed 39 times. Lashed isn't like slang for going out on the, in the pubs and the drinking. This is with a whip, Okay. Flogged frequently, exposed to death again and again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Again, once I was stoned. If you're watching, this was with rocks, not with a plant. Three times I've been shipwrecked, spending a night and a day in open sea, and I'm constantly on the move. I've got nowhere to call home. I've been in danger from rivers and from bandits. I'm often without sleep. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. Daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Aren't you glad you haven't got Paul as a Facebook friend? 
This guy had serious, serious issues. Yet we find him in the middle of a prison cell about midnight singing and praising. Now, he wouldn't have been thrown in at like quarter to 12. He probably would have been picked up about 10 a.m. in the morning. And what the text is suggesting here is that that whole time both Paul and Silas were praying, speaking in tongues, proper Pentecostals, just bringing the house down for hours and hours. And it says the other prisoners were listening. And nothing happens, an hour goes by, and two, and three, and six, and seven, and then suddenly there's breakthrough. See, the earthquake wasn't a coincidence. You'll know William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, years ago said, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. And I want to tell you, if you are facing something this morning, and it might be as simple as, you know, a bill's late, or it might be as drastic as a really bad doctor's diagnosis or not being able to pay the bills or not sure when your next support is coming from. This text tells us something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable in 21st century church, is that you can be bang in the middle of the will of God and not everything is perfect all of the time. And we're really good at this as Pentecostals. We like to trick people into faith. It's all rainbows and unicorns and sunshine and daisies. And you get in a week, two, three months, two years, you're thinking, this isn't all that it was sold to be. Well, if you get in the word, Jesus never promised we would have a perfect life. In fact, he said, you will face trouble. What he did promise is that I will always be with you. I think it's Isaiah 43. You go through the waters, I'll be there. If you go through the fire, I'll be there. In raging rivers, I will be there. And Paul and Silas understood this. And I believe they were masters mentally, emotionally, and spiritually of dealing with anxiety. And there's this one verse in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 I want to just draw your attention to. Because I believe this is something that Paul practiced and preached and lived out. He says, when things come against me, we demolished arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's not just physical things. Look at this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. Now, this is a very interesting skill. If you suffer with anxiety today or any sort of anxiety, phobia or fear, if you go to your doctors, they won't instantly give you medication, a pill or a bottle of something. What they'll do is they'll refer you to something called cognitive behaviour therapy. I think I said that right. I know it easier as CBT. And it's all about catching your thoughts. It's about being aware of what you're thinking. You see, as I'm talking now, your brain is processing so many things. We have self-talk. Our brain is speaking to you. It might be speaking to you about the message. It might be speaking to you about my awful outfit. It might be speaking to you about my accent. It might be speaking to you about your surroundings. But four times quicker than I'm speaking, subconsciously, your brain is ticking and it's worrying and it's making all sorts of judgments. What CBDT does is it helps us focus in and take attention of the things that are going in. Science tells us that we have 30 seconds before we feel our feelings. 30 seconds. And the dangerous thing and the worrying thing, I think, is that oftentimes those thoughts that are going in, we are not aware of. So we're sometimes feeling things before we're even aware of what we're thinking. If you think in your life where you've got angry really quickly, you've lost your temper really quickly, and you've taken a moment to think, what on earth has happened there? Well, your self-talk is going into your mind, and it's then expressing itself in emotion and feelings. And there's a little part in our brain called the amygdala. We're going to get a little bit scientific. 
We have two amygdalae. If you put a line through my eye or your eye and through your ear, at that intersection in the medial temporal lobe of your brain in each hemisphere, makes me sound very clever, doesn't it? There's two of these little tiny things called amygdalae. Very, very tiny. And this is the seat of our emotion. And indeed, if you are struggling with unbalanced anxiety, is your amygdala to blame? Now, the problem with the amygdala, as I said right at the beginning, it can be really helpful. But it makes a perceived threat real. For example, if a tiger was to come through these doors now, which you never know in Derby, all sorts of crazy things happen here, and jump into the middle of the room, instantly you will go into fight or flight mode. If you're sensible, it's probably flight. What anxiety does is that imagined threat, if you just imagine that, you will feel the exact same feelings as if that actually happened. Does that make sense? So fear sees a threat, anxiety imagines one, but because of our amygdala and the power of our mind and our thoughts, the physical sensations of that appear in our bodies. So when you're anxious, you probably sweat a little bit more. You probably desperately need to go to the toilet as the blood runs from around your body to protect your organs. You probably start to lose your breath. If you've ever had a panic attack, the symptoms are exactly the same as a heart attack. There's nothing wrong with your heart, but your head is telling you that there is. So you go into A&E and you rush and you think you're dying, but actually it's all just a trick of the mind. Can you see how powerful our thoughts can be? Can you see how you can be robbed of so much if you don't get this under control? And then we have this crazy guy, Paul, in the middle of a cell, deep and dark, smelling the B.O., food waste, sweating, head in stocks, singing and praising Jesus. I believe this wasn't a happy accident that he fell into. I believe he had conditioned his mind to think the things that God would think in that situation. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, Set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated, not on the things below on earth. He looked completely differently. He didn't look at his situations, his surroundings. He knew and he looked to what was absolutely real, which more often than not is spiritual rather than physical. But it's so important we are being conscious of what we're thinking. And I'll say it like this. What we consistently think becomes how we consistently feel. And how we consistently feel becomes what we consistently do. And what we consistently do becomes who we are. It becomes our character. But as I said so often, three out of four of the thoughts that are entering our mind we're not consciously aware of. There was a very clever man, a scientist named Santiago Romani Cajal. It's a very cool name, Santiago Romani Cajal. And he is considered the neuroscience forefather. He was a neurophysicist uh, and a neurobiologist. And he was actually the first neuroscientist to win a Nobel Peace Prize, uh, Nobel Science Prize, sorry, in 1906. And he released this very famous paper in 1930. And he was looking at the structure of the brain and he said, when we think, it literally creates grooves in our brain. So if you've ever seen a picture of the brain, all the pathways, the neuropathways, not just the emotional ones, the physical ones are shaped by our thoughts. And he said, when these thoughts cause these grooves in our brain, they are fixed and immovable. What he was saying in brummy terms is you can't teach old dogs new tricks. That's why it's so important when we're growing up that we're so aware, he said, of our surroundings and why children are damaged uh, at seven or eight, take that into their adulthood. He said it's fixed and immutable, these things and these thoughts. 
that happened in the brain. He was widely celebrated for it. As I said, the forefather of neuroscience. And then this Polish neurobiologist came in 1948. He was called Jerzy Konowski. And he rebuted this paper. He said, I absolutely believe that thoughts create physical infrastructure in the brain, but I don't believe they're fixed and immutable. He said, he came up with this phrase, that the brain is like plasticine. And the phrase that he coined was neuroplasticity. It's a very fancy way of saying that the pathways in our brains can change over time. And of course, he was laughed at, he was scoffed at. But really interestingly, 60s and 70s, neurobiologists, scientists, using the modern-day sciences that they have then, and indeed we have now, found that Jerzy Kornowski's predictions and uh, theories were true. That we could literally change the physical structure of our brains, the pathways by how we think. Amazing, really, isn't it, when you think of Romans 12 too, really famous verse. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will find what is good and pleasing in God's perfect will. And again, Paul catching his thoughts, CBT. We so often think that science and faith are at loggerheads, that they can't coexist. Well, Paul was talking about modern science 2,000 years ago, and we're just discovering it now in the 40s and the 60s and the 70s. And I want to suggest, as Paul was there with his head stuck in the stocks, praising and singing, he was employing not just CBT, but neuroplasticity. And this might seem like a huge thing, especially if you're down in the dumps and you're struggling and you're thinking <coughs> that I'm trapped in a prison of fear or anxiety. I'm not sure what's happening next. And we expect for this like amazing experience where God turns everything around instantly, like what happened with Paul. But actually, I believe that's more the exception than the rule. You see, neuroplasticity doesn't happen overnight. It happens incrementally, very, very slowly and carefully. It's a famous woman of faith. I'll put her up here. She's the Reverend Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she's not like got her doctorate off Google. She's a proper neurobiologist herself. She says this about the brain. Thoughts are real and physical things that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you are changing the structure of the brain through the way you think. When we hope it is an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. It is with our minds that we reject it or believe the lies of the enemy. It is with our minds that we change the physical reality of the brain to reflect our choices. It is with our minds that we decide to follow God's rule and live in peace despite what is going on around us. And it is with our minds that we choose to follow the lies of Satan and spiral into mental, physical and spiritual disarray. Now, I'm not the type of person who will say that every anxious thought is from the devil. Satan isn't omniscient, he's not omnipresent. I believe, if I can be humble enough to say, that he has got bigger fish to fry than you or me. However, I believe if we have any hope of being detracted or deterred from the will of God and plans from our life by the enemy, by Satan's minions, spirits, thoughts, it is going to be in our minds. It's not the type of thing that when you're walking through your house that a demon will put his leg out to trip you up. It'll be the small whispers as you lie down at night. Your spouse has fallen asleep, you close your eyes and your mind just goes wondering. It's in the quiet moments when you've just had a really hard phone call and you sit and you just take a moment to think and you begin to catastrophize that situation, instantly thinking the worst. 
Medically, today, you used to have to wait. Well, you still do have to wait for a GP appointment. But what we do now is we go to Google. We have a strange rash, and we think, is it our new detergent? I'll put it in Google. No, you've got a tropical disease, and you're going to die. Where do you instantly go? It's not the detergent, is it? And I believe it's these little small things, incrementally, that shift our mind, our brains, our thoughts, our obedience away from Jesus. Quietly, incrementally. However, on the other hand, we can give back doses of God's reality. We can begin to incrementally shift and change, not just the emotional and spiritual aspects of our souls and our minds, but also our physical brain structure. It's no coincidence that Jesus said in Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Where your mind goes, you will often follow. So all this to say is I believe that the presence of anxiety may be unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is absolutely optional. And we see this played out with Paul and Silas. Say it again. The presence of anxiety may be unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. You can physically be locked up, like Paul, but you don't have to mentally be locked up, or emotionally locked up, or spiritually locked up. And as I said, it was hours and hours they were praying, they were singing, they were worshipping. I can imagine Paul and Silas with their heads stuck next to each other doing a little Bible study. That were deterring and detracting any thought that would come against them. And after the hours of doing that, instantly there was a breakthrough. And I believe God who did it then can do it again. And you may be thinking that might sound fantastic, it might sound great, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the things I have to face. You don't know what my husband is like, my wife would probably say. You don't know what it's like trying to do the school run and work three jobs as a single parent. You don't know what it's like. I'll say it like this. If you are feeling like that, you just got to fake it until you make it. You got to fake it until you make it. And that might sound really, really um, like unbiblical, but actually I believe it's completely biblical. Go all the way back to the beginning. It's a very good place to start, we're told in the sound of music, Genesis 1. God is creating, he's breathing out stars and galaxies and trees and fish and animals. And then he comes to his crowning jewel in Genesis 1 verse 26. He said, let us make mankind in our image. In the image of God, we will make them. And God begins to craft humanity as seen in Adam and Eve, these archetypal people. First people he's given his imprint to, his thumbprint to. Not just physically, emotionally and spiritually. And I find it really interesting that as we're talking about thoughts shaping our mind physically, we see an imprint of God in that. As I said, God spoke and things happened. Material things were created. And of course, we don't have that same inerrant quality. We can't go in and say 65-inch TV on my wall, please, and it appears. But our thoughts change things. It changed how we are. As I said, physically, our anxiety, our thoughts can manifest real symptoms. So when we're not feeling it, we've just got to fake it until we make it. We've got to speak truth even when we don't believe it. That's what faith is. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the substance of things not seen. And you may think having anxiety is to have a lack of faith. It's actually not a lack of faith at all. It's just misplaced faith. Where faith is the hope and the substance of things most hoped for, anxiety is faith and substance and hope in the things most feared. It's the antithesis of faith, but it's still faith. 
So if we can begin to fake it until we make it, we can speak these things into our life, even if we're not feeling it. I believe incrementally that Romans 12.2 will begin to shift those neural pathways, will begin to shift the reality inside of our souls and our spirit. And if we don't get it like that, if we don't can do it quietly in our prayer time, if we can't just handle it sitting and, you know, very quietly speaking to us, we need to take a leaf out of Muhammad Ali's book. Many of you know Muhammad Ali as the world's most famous boxer. He was a master of boxing. His feet were phenomenal. His hands were quick. He could dodge very fast. I'm a boxing fan. But he was also a master of trash talk. Look at this. I would love to hear this preached in the sermons. It's why I put it in. I've wrestled with alligators. I've tussled with a whale. I've done handcuff lightning and thrown thunder in jail. You know I'm bad. Just last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitaled a brick. I mean... I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. It's brilliant, isn't it? And what he would do, far before he got in a ring at the press conferences, he would look at his opponent and he would just begin to trash talk them. Trash talk, trash talk. Last week I murdered a brick, killed a stone, I make medicine sick. He even made it rhyme, how cool is this guy? Just talking, just constant trash talk. And we see today, don't we, Tyson Fury, um, colourful language, but he's doing it, trash talk, trash talk, trash talk. And he's mentally battering his opponent down. This is exactly what we need to do with the enemy's lies, with the worries of life, anxieties that we feel, the pressures that we are under. We just got to trash talk them. So how do we do that? Three really easy ways as I come into land. And Andy's going to come and make me sound holy with some, some pads. First way, really, really obvious. And these might sound so obvious, but they're so important. Prayer. Prayer. Now, what prayer isn't is closing your eyes, getting on your knees and speaking to the air. If you don't know Jesus and you think of prayer, you probably have a mental image of what prayer is and an old building that's cold and old people on their knees. And by the way, old people are some of our best and most powerful intercessors. Speaking to the air and nothing happening. Well, that's not what prayer is at all. Stereotypically, that is prayer, but that's not prayer at all. Prayer is engaging on a heart and soul level with the creator of the universe, as Dan said earlier. It's speaking to Jesus, speaking to God. It's connecting with him. And when we're just feeling so battered and bruised and hurt by life, the prayer closet is the most healing place you could possibly go. And as I said, even if you're not feeling anything, but you're praying, you are speaking reality into your mind. Second thing, the word of God, the Bible. So, so powerful. And the criminality of the church today, I believe, in the West is we don't read our Bibles enough. Most of our theology is based on the songs we sing or the sermons we hear, which can be very dodgy if you're part of my church, by the way. But we have access here in the UK to, to access uh, the Word of God like some people can't at all. We can get into the Word of God ourselves, dive in by our spirit, just meet with God's spirit. And this weekend, my little boy and my second little boy, I've got three kids, Judah, Asa, and Ida is my little girl. My middle boy, Asa, has been throwing up all weekend. Absolutely throwing up. He's trying to eat, but then he brings it all back up. We've done a COVID test, so you are safe. It's not COVID, it's just a bug. Uh, throwing up, throwing up. And I just had a little moment. God speaks to me as Asa's throwing up in the toilet and rubbing his back. Just speaking to me. He said, you know, the first thing that happens when we're sick is we lose our appetite. We can't keep it down. We can't keep food down. Exactly the same, the emotional and the spiritual as well. You see, when we're sick mentally, when anxiety is taking hold and it's controlling our minds and it's in our spirit, 
The last thing we want to do is go to the word of God, but it's the best place to go. Talking about anxiety, worry, the Bible talks so much about this. When we go into the word of God in a prayerful attitude, we're meeting with his spirit. The rabbis called the scripture a gem with 70 faces. And the implication that we're trying to communicate there was every time you look at it, you see something different. Many of you have been reading the Bible much longer than me. And you will know if you've done that, you'll read a verse you've heard in Sunday school in 1926. And then you read it again in 2021, you just see something so different. You could read the same verse every year, every day. And because it's the living and active word of God, Hebrews 4.12 said, cuts between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It speaks back to us. You might love novels. You might like Harry Potter. We can pray for you at the end, that's fine. You might like all these different novels, all these different series. But the only book that speaks back to you is the Bible. Prayer. The word. Third thing, Christian community. And that doesn't mean just attending church, whether it be online or in person. It's not just coming into the building because the thing about anxiety and fear and worry is you can hide it behind a suit and a smile. You can come into church with the biggest Bible under your arm and be looked at as the most holy and reverent person but be absolutely dying inside because oftentimes it's not a physical ailment. Christian community is opening yourself up to the people of God is getting on a level with, and I'm not talking about the whole church here, maybe one or two people. I wonder if the story would have been different for Paul and Silas as they were in the stocks if it was only one of them. I can imagine when Silas was flagging, Paul would pick him up, and when Paul was flagging, Silas would pick him up. Lots of people say, well, I've got a faith, but I don't go to church. I don't believe in the church. But for me, they're so intrinsically linked. You can be a fish, But if you're not in water, you're dead. And I believe it's the same with a Christian. You can be a Christian and not in church, but it's probably not helpful for you. Our environments are so important. Proverbs 13, 20, one of my favourite verses, says, walk with the wise, you'll become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. And you're far more likely to go down a foolish road when you're doing it by yourself and have no one to call you out. Usually for me, it's my wife or my friend Luke. Luke often pulls me in place when I need it. But Christian community is so so important. And as I finish, just four things I want to highlight. If you're struggling with anxiety, maybe clinically, maybe you've been diagnosed. Maybe you're just sitting here thinking, that sounds so much like me. So much like me, I'm weighed down, as Jesus said, as I said in Luke um, 21, 34, weighed down with the anxieties of life. Just feel heavy, just feel burdened, just feel exhausted. I just feel like I can't put another step in front of the other. Well, get active with it. Begin to trash talk those thoughts. But also, as I said about environments, get a right environment around you. Employ routine and rhythm in your life. Set an alarm. Get up. Make sure you're getting in the word, getting in times of prayer. Limit the amount of news that you are consuming. If you have that little notification from the BBC pop up every four minutes with the next disaster going on in the world, maybe turn the notification off. Because even though we may not feel it in the moment, as I said, our thoughts are coming in. You don't know what that's doing to you, inhaling all this rubbish from all over the world. And unfortunately, the news we get is more often bad than good. You want some good news, you have to dig for it. Number three, limit your escapist behaviours. Really, really important. This could be as over as a bottle of whiskey. When it just gets too much, I'm just going to have one. And then it turns into two and then four. 
It might be non-prescribed medication. And I will say, if you've been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and the doctor has given you a prescription, it's not unholy to take that. I believe God works in medicine and through doctors. Take your prescription. God can heal you. He may heal you, but he might use the tablets as well. Talking about non-prescribed medication here, escapist behaviours. But it might not be so overt as that. It might be subtle. It might be a Netflix box set that you watch in a row, and there's 24-hour episodes, and you get in your blanket, and you put your hood up, and you lie on the sofa, and you're just gone. Limit your escapist behaviours. And last one, and one I'm still working on, consume your social media in moderation. Again, with the notifications, I talked about the news. Much of my news comes through social media, but oftentimes it isn't as reputable as a proper news source. Anyone can write anything online today and pass it off as truth. And we're getting all sorts of silly arguments on social media that get us hot and heated and anxious and mad. But fifth, and probably most poignant and obvious to us, is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I think it's Matthew 28, 11 to 12. Come to me, all you who are weary. You're burned out. You're burned out on religion. Come to me. I will give you a real rest, it says in the message version. You can rest on your sofa for 12 hours and still get up and feel tired and exhausted because it's not real rest. And I want to tell you, if you've never met Jesus before, maybe you've been duped here into church today because your friend has promised they'll take you from McDonald's afterwards or to the cinema. And you just find yourself in this weird place, but something has been happening as the music's been playing and Dan's been speaking and you just feel butterflies in your stomach and you're wondering what on earth that is. Is it dodgy Weetabix? Is it a bad curry? No, I believe that's the Holy Spirit beginning to minister and speak to you. You might not know Jesus at all, but he knows you. We're going to take some time now to worship. So I wonder as I pray, would you stand with me? Allow me to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning for each and every person in this room, every person watching on the stream online, people who watch this back in the weeks and months to come, as I stumble across it on Facebook or YouTube, I just pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that you will minister to us by your spirit. We pray against this stronghold of anxiety that is gripping our world in its grip, this imbalanced, unbalanced anxiety that has us running in fear of imagined threats, of catastrophe, of all the things to come. Our hearts are getting weighed down, our spirits bogged down, We pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you just come and cut through all of that. Meet us exactly where we are in whatever situation we find ourselves in and begin to breathe and whisper on our hearts right now, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we can employ this tactic of just catching our thoughts and making them obedient to you. We pray against doses of our own reality, manifestations that we are making up in our own minds, the the lies that the enemy are telling us and the world telling us, Father, right now. We just pray by your spirit, you will cut through with your truth, with your words. Begin to speak to us and move us right where we are, God. We pray for any person in this room who is struggling with fear, with anxiety. We just pray that you will come and be with them now. And Lord, as we come into a time of corporate worship and we sing together, I pray that your spirit will just continue to move through this room. Hold us up, God. Heal us, God. Help us transform our thinking, the patterns, and conform to your ways and not anybody else's ways, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.